Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Randy Bach, MD and PC. He is the host of Coronavirus Conversation and the author of Overturning Zika or Zika, the pandemic that never was. A few weeks back, Randy had me on his show to speak about my insights into social justice and what is otherwise known as wokeness. And I turned the tables on him as I do. And we spoke about his time treating addiction and how different models of addiction management or public policy around addiction mirror or are analogs of greater social policies. I found this very interesting. I cut in halfway through where we speak about his experience and his insight into addiction and how that maps onto political discourse. Without further ado, here is Dr. Randy Bach. Can we do a thought experiment with your experience um, with addiction? I was just thinking, I spoke with a libertarian yesterday, and libertarians, I still don't understand. They have such complex theories, and everything's really wordy, too. They don't know how to just, like, meme quite yet. That's one weakness of libertarians. Um, But, you know, I did a thought experiment with him. Like, what if somehow, without thieving or conquering, you inherited San Francisco? How would you you deal with an ideal society or a libertarian society? Because San Francisco, it looks like you get to either do all the drugs you want or make all the money you want, right? And there's like, and and those two power classes are squashing out people. Um, But just to transpose that on, you know, how... The, the elite um, that are nominally left or leftish or, or neoliberal neocons, how they think about fixing society, how they think about their large, largesse and implementing all these programs to help the poors of the hoi polloi, um, and how that might be related to a disease model for society. I'm, I'm wondering if there is some sort of corollary um, towards like societal m- malfunction and addiction, and how there's different ways of perceiving how to fix such a problem, and if the disease model is a diseased model or is kind of you see that echoed in the elite well that's you're making an interesting point i mean i'm going to come, come i'm going to give you the answer in two words okay. uh ready yes. harm yeah. harm reduction okay uh harm reduction i think is the is the the thread uh that that links these things um harm reduction is uh one of these great neologisms or it's not quite a portmanteau, but it's a combination word which doesn't quite mean or act out in the way it's said. Mm. Um, it's like affirmative action. It, it sounds awesome. It's hard to argue with affirmative action. I, I want to do affirmative action every morning when I get up. Um, I want to act affirmatively. Okay. Harm reduction, right. I mean, who doesn't want to reduce harm? I mean, these, these are always no-brainers. Now, who doesn't want social security? I, I want social security. I want harm reduction. I want affirmative action. <laughs> I want I want progressivism. I, I want all these things. I yes. just don't happen to want them at the way they actually turn out. So they are yes. maybe like uh, you know the wolf wearing Red Riding Hood's cloak. Uh, they, they have hidden danger, and it's a naive person who doesn't understand that there are potential unintended consequences. Uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch, um, yeah. uh, that kind of stuff. So w- w- the, the harm reduction is a, a all-encompassing um, field. And I think they are happy to call it harm reduction, mind you. And the concept is that you are going to help people avoid negative outcomes. And how are you going to do that? Basically, you're going to put them in a, a, a bouncy castle of, of life. 
Um, uh, I don't know if you have kids. Have you been in the bouncy castle? You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh. Yes, yes. Um, and, and so, you know, if they're in there, they can bounce around all they want, and they can jump up and down, and maybe they can break their necks, I suppose. But for yeah. the most part, they're going to bounce off the walls, and they're going to be comfortable and all that kind of stuff. Yes. That is life. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a, a – getting back to our friends, the elites, I think there's this concept that if, if you, you know, give them bread and circus, um, circuses – um, they they will be happy. I think this avoids the the essence of the in, internal struggle that individuals have. You know, we were mentioning bullying. Nobody likes bullying, but it's kind of an, an annealing process. Uh, the way metals are, are strengthened and so forth. You 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 ca- cannot have strength unless somebody points out where your weaknesses are. And nobody, I don't want to be bullied. Okay, I enjoy being bullied, but. You, you have to be strong enough to, to understand that you can survive certain things. You know, people love my, – my boys, they're men. Uh, they love gaming, you know, the various games and whatnot. What is this? this is an eternal test. I, I like watching uh, – I'm not – I can't really play basketball. I can minimally – you know, I was a decent – you know, touch football quarterback, but I couldn't play any of these sports. But I watch, I live the the, the struggles and the trials because they're right out there and they're pushing yourself to the extreme. Yeah. This this is the essence of man, you know, men, and and what men need is their struggle. I don't think it's precisely the same for women, but you know, it, it, when you take away. Um, the struggle, and, and you think that people can be anesthetized and, and be happy because they've re- been receiving certain things. This does not yeah. work out. Um, yeah. it, it, the, it, it, the bouncy, bouncy castle, castle inevitably turns, turns into, into a padded, padded cell. cell. That is an excellent way of putting it. You know, I, I would I would think about the lion. You know, a, a zoo lion might very well live longer than a, a wild lion. I'm not sure how the wild lions are doing. I'm not going to comment on that per se but but historically say you know uh, would you rather be in the zoo where you get your food on a regular basis or would you rather be doing your lion thing because you are the lion <laughs> you're the guy out there and and you can stalk and you can you know hunt and and, and so forth and when you have your meal i i, I imagine for lion ish people you know lionish animals that this is they can be lying around you know having done their lion stuff and that is awesome you know you just kind of they've had their meal so forth. maybe it wasn't that great for the uh hyena or the gazelle or whatever um but uh you know you're doing the lions now conversely you get caught and you're put in the cell you're given all your needs you probably get injections and you know medication all this kind of stuff and and they take care of the the little i don't know the, the, the lice you might have in your coat is that a better existence well harm reduction says yes and and i don't think that's necessarily how people act and react and i don't think that's how they have the fulfillment and essentially without getting religious about it i don't think that's how mm. they find their god and i don't think they think that's how they align yeah. with their you know I, i'm not going to say happiness but satisfaction in life yeah yeah there's um we're on the eve of the great um month of uh Bacchanalia, or I guess I think we call it pride uh, for for some reason. It used to be um, a sin. I, I don't know. It used, to- it used to be a sin, but they ex- they extended pride from a day to a week to a month, and now a season, and it precedes the fall finally. So they're really like they're really trying to get right up in there. Um, but it it serves it serves, and you know, we speak about the elite, but I think of it as as this just the path that we're on this just this path of technological rationalization and rationalism and just the path of decadence, the path of empire, crumbling empire. 
and it serves empire or it serves this whatever this organism is or this uh this meta organism is it serves it that we expend our energies into um the shortest sighted forms of satisfaction uh you know or celebrating our our sexualities and 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 judging each other for our phobias right and once we lose contact with phobia once the phobia has been shaken out of us then all we have is our pride and we have no shame and we have no restraint we have no humility and then we have no connection to actually that which forms ourselves into free agents self-controlled agents who can build lives that propagate and that propagate better and better or greater and greater or just good people children right so so this this expenditure into polyamory uh and into all these forms of sexuality that are inherently dead ends and you know you're not supposed to say that homosexuality is um lesser than heterosexuality but by the very fact of nature heterosexual sexuality actually provides us with more humans but that 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 whole jumble of of deconstructing that hierarchy deconstructing that long-term thinking deconstructing um saying that one thing is better than the other because that means that something is worse and we can't have that um it strips us it strips our society of of that which makes made it great made it better than just good, made it better than just, you know, survival and stuff like that. And for whatever reason, I think that that empire, whatever that thing is called, um, doesn't really give a damn about that. It doesn't really give a damn about rational agents or, you know, upstanding citizens. And, and, and I guess it was, uh, again, mentioning something in current events a couple days ago, there's this guy up in Canada, I think he's running for premier, and he, he seems like a kind of a centrist, if not a conservative, and he was asked by a reporter why, why there, was, there was this really interesting exchange where the reporter uh, was trying to say that we should stop having people, stop doing bail, um, we, should, we should let criminals go free because they keep on committing crimes while they're on bail. And it was this weird exchange. I can't really replicate it because it doesn't make any sense other than the fact that it's always society's fault. And everything is society's fault except for society, which is good, upstanding citizens' fault. There's another term called uh, stochastic terrorism that we see in in the decriminalization of criminality and the criminalization of security of of actual like uprighting upright citizens defending themselves from criminals they're the ones who get prosecuted by the DAs and and the criminals are the ones who are set free and who who does that serve who does that serve it, it's so it's, it's nobody it serves nobody it's a, it's um uh, kind of a self-abnegation, you know. The, huh. the, the, these things are religious structures, and I think there's something in where I, you know, this. Hmm. It's not my phrase, but we, you know, supposedly man has a, you know, god god-sized hole in his heart, and we're trying to, you know, come up with some religious structure, and so there are various penance acts and so forth. But but what people are kind of forgetting in a very uh, pragmatic sense is um, that. Um, the reason the state is there in the first place, the reason that you have the power to, you know, do transfer payments or to set people, you know, free or whatnot, is that the, the state is um, uh, an easier version of, of blood vengeance. You know, absent the state, uh, you know, you kill my 
relative. I have to kill two of your relatives, and you come back and kill four of my relatives. You have tribalism. The people who don't want, you know, nation, they don't want nations. They want to get rid of national borders. Yeah. You know, th- these things were, you know, were the, the, the state essentially is a way of of abstracting the, what what lies innate with us, within us. It is impossible to get rid of our urges. You know, it, you, I don't think anybody can watch. You know, his his wife get raped and not want to kill that person. Okay, and the only thing that keeps you from going all Charles Bronson, you know, vigilante on that is the is this kind of promise that there are that that we yes we understand we get that pain we understand that pain yeah. we understand the pain of your child you know getting hit by a, a drunk driver that this guy couldn't be bothered to pay attention to the rules of of the road and there are rules of the road because the road is a wonderful place it's a wonderful place it's how i get you know to my you know, get, get out yeah. to play tennis or go to work whatever yeah. I, I get my my lunch or it's a great thing the road but but it only acts well and it's miraculous if you if you you know went out to the satellite and look at rush hour every day you know, millions and hundreds of millions of people all around the globe at different times of day are going back and forth, and they're not hitting each other. Yeah. They're not hitting each other. They're, they're like corpuscles in your blood. Which, you know, they don't need brains either, but they're kind of working under a, a, an impulsion and so mm. forth. They don't have any choice. They're just doing things on fluid dynamics. But here you have a bunch of people in de- who are deciding where they should be and how they should be, and they stay out of each other's way. Now, if you're the guy who decides that he'd rather get his buzz on and then do that, well, you are a... Uh, you know, asterisk, asterisk, asterisk hole, um, and you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be out and bound. If you do it repetitively, well, then definitely that's the case. Yeah. You know, so you know the, these things are to to uh, you know to take us away from our own tribal innate human instincts. And you know, everyone wants to be non-human. Everyone wants to have this kind of transhumanist aspect. Somehow we can get. Even you want to be a superhero. Well, I I did want to be a superhero. My son was a superhero for a long time. We had to address him. Uh, he's going to be embarrassed. But uh, he can stand it. You know, for, for a year, practically, we had to address him as Batman. Um, we didn't all the time, but he only always had a cape. And we, hmm. But we didn't, you know. Did you affirm his, so you affirmed, his, you did a no, social transition? Exactly. From, from, other people did. you give did him some batarangs? Other people did more than we did. If he had to go to hook? bed, no, he couldn't stay out because he had to fight crime. No, he had to, he had to go okay. to bed. And he had to but did he sleep up. upside down? Did he go all the way? Yeah, I know. So it's it's just kind of a funny thing. We we've yeah. thought we think that we can take away, you know, the, our animal aspects, and and it's, yeah. and it's weird because we love dogs, we love cats, and we understand those things are animals. They have their animal instincts. They pee in the corner. We understand it. Why they did yeah. it? They're rubbing up against each other. We understand why they have urges. We too have urges. <laughs> I was thinking of this meme. Speaking of memes, uh, there's a, a a dog with, you know, the kind of the sad dog eyes, and yeah. and he's like, please. While you're eating that cheese, I hope you remember that there are others around you who also like cheese. Yeah, I mean the dog likes cheese. We like cheese. We have certain things that 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 animate and motivate. So if you're walking outside on Memorial Day and you smell a barbecue, you know it's different from smelling a a, a, a carrot. You know if you can smell carrots. I don't know if you can. You well, know, if so, they're boiled, I guess. So we have kind of urges that that we have to channel and filter and and, and funnel into the right places now that can be done okay. well and it can be done poorly you know okay. what what conservative is not an exciting name like progressive but conservatives no. are are working on something that has you know they're trying to conserve those things that frankly have been means tested over time you know i i go to um a synagogue 
And, you know, we got the Old Testament. We didn't get, like, renovate our Testament. We have just the old one. But, you know, still, a lot of it's in, in thus spoke and begat this one and some, you know, odd names. But but the underlying themes, I mean, they are ancient and they are, are current. You know, people have the same desires. They have the same envies. They have the same urges. You know, they didn't just make the Ten Commandments. Like, he didn't just come down with them, like, right on. Oh, geez, what, what, what would be ten awesome things? You know, there were things that people were doing that were coveting. They were adulterating, whatever the word is. But, and yet, at the same time, I'm just thinking, like, there's a proverb, enjoy the wife of your youth. So, within the Old Testament, there is, you know, there, there are strictures, but there's also a love and an appreciation of beauty, you know, Song of Solomon. There's, like, there is, there is a time for uh, fasting and a time for feasting. And, and so, it is balanced in that way. Um, in, in allowing the, the, the appetites to roam within re- really constrained forms. And that goes back to what's the alternative to harm reduction? If harm reduction once taken, once scaled up to like San Francisco or where New York is headed, it turns into uh, only the harmful survive and those who are trying to mitigate the harms of, uh, of society are punished. <laughs> so they they, uh, the yeah. elites have their Hamptons and they have their you know security guards and they've got you know they've got ways of tunneling and, and so forth out of the, the situation it's really it's a sacrifice you know what, what basically people have done is they have pets and they have adopted you know the the, the you know this is not my term of art but in the movies there's a the thing the magical negro have you heard of this yeah so that's a term of art i'm not sure when it came up or the noble savage, we can and we can apply that to cross races. Anybody who's lower class is the noble savage. But, but other it's, than it's, like it's, the it's, Appalachian, the concept is that, that that poor guy. If you see this movie after movie, that poor homeless guy, he's got the really words of wisdom. Yes, that will change yes. your life and so forth. And oddly yeah. enough, that is actually not the case. You know, I um, I had uh, a regular medical practice for twenty seven years in Revere, um, which is kind of a blue collar town, and then polyethnic that we had the the waves of cambodian and um serbians and uh, you know bosnian whatever um after various wars and other places come through and then without wars we had morocco and now brazil and whatnot and that was my my turf you know i that was my window on the world in a sense so i had the world come to me um and uh you know people people don't you know the the, the people who are kind of bundled up and you know, sleeping outside, whatever, they're homeless. We, we've come up with this another term. Um, it's a kind of a, um, a euphemism. Uh, they, they were not homeless, in, in, except in, in the extent that I was, for instance, yachtless or I'm, I'm Ferrari-less. Wow, uh, they, that's they, a they, good one. They never had one. God damn, that's hard. <laughs> well, they never, you know, one. it takes work and effort to have a home. Yes. You know, you, you have yeah. to pay your bills and you have, it's, it's complicated. Yeah. You know, being a citizen is not easy. I no. I spend days on my taxes. I'm not I'm not looking for, you know, sympathy or tears or anything like that. I'm not well, people need to hear that they should spend a little time on their taxes, so. But but it it, it is effort just to do that stuff. Now even just yes. to rent, you know, it, it takes effort. And you have to put something in because we're all part of this machine. You cannot just eat. And when we let people just eat, so Speaking of, of you know narcotic addiction, yes, you know, please. In, in the mid early two uh, thousands, um, I Suboxone came along, and this Suboxone. was supposed to be Suboxone is is methadone light. So that it, it, it's there's methadone came along as, as a harm reduction concept in the in yes in the sixties, and it was really initiated in the seventies under Nixon, and it took hold in the eighties. 
each one of these thrusts, whether it was methadone, which was free, as it were, when I say free, it's always free to that user, not to everybody else or societally. Yeah. And then, then, you know, in the 2000s came along um, Suboxone. Suboxone was supposed to make, was to destigmatize uh, methadone treatment or narcotic treatment because yeah. nobody wanted to go to the methadone clinic because there's a bunch of methadone heads there. Yes. And people are nodding off. Methadone is really deep. Suboxone is a lighter methadone. Um, it's called buprenorphine. It rhymes with morphine. And and so it's not as as deep a, a dopey high, um, but nonetheless, if I you know virgin to opiates, if I took one, I would be asleep for the afternoon. Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 you, you don't really kill yourself overdosing unless you're also taking Valium or benzodiazepine, or whatever. But but you know you don't want your kids having; they can overdose and die. So it is a real opiate. Um, it's a little bit blander. Um, anyway, so so Suboxone came out in the early two thousands, and. Um, uh, you know what happened is that that more people wind up being addicted to narcotics as a result. You know th- this is it becomes a, a gateway. Of, well, it's not just a gateway. What we what we used to do um, before these people can't imagine there was a time before you know we had um, all these stipends uh, for for being poor. You know I was actually going to kind of segue into some of the you know the, my my patient cohort. Um, skewed towards the Medicaid um, and and disability crowd. They were young. I think median age was probably you know mid 30s, um, but almost you know very a small percentage you know were working and supporting themselves because it's hard to do. Most most of them came in because their narcotic habit had gotten so unwieldy. You know at the yeah. time 150 200 dollars a day, um, and, mm-hmm. and you have to get that money somewhere. And it's hard to do that just by working at, you know, at Panera or, or whatever. It's hard to do that. So people wind up doing secondary activities, one type or another, illicit, and to support a drug habit. They don't feel good about it, you know, but they, they wake up feeling grotty and whatnot. They have to pursue the drug. You know, it, it's tied in with a bunch of behavioral issues as well. And so the kind of the, the magical part where you see, you know, the magical homeless person say in a movie having the sage advice, well maybe here and there, but my experience has been that the people who are really, you know, kind of very much a slave to their drug use are are not having enlightened thoughts and so forth. They're 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 desperate. They're hungry and they're 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 kind of in battle mode to get that. So, yeah. so it's, they're becoming it's less and less human. In a way, hmm? well, they're becoming less and less human, or, or becoming disconnected from higher forms of right. Of life. It's feral in a way, so it's a doggy dog kind of world, yeah. and so they'll do dastardly things to each other, even. And so there's a fair amount of you know addict on addict crime and theft and whatnot, and 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 sexual abuse and all this kind of stuff. It's not happy lives. You know, there's, there's this concept, you know, there's liber, liberation and there's libertine. And, uh, you know, there's kind of a romanticization, I think, from the Marquis de Sade of what, you know, kind of this um, kind of libertine world would be that you're, you know, have a, uh, there's some pleasure in the pain. But there's generally, generally within pain, there's pain, not pleasure. And, and people disrupting kind of the orderly, say, conservative aspects of their lives is not useful. And you take away the bonds and the, the, the friendships that help you get, you know, your satisfaction in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when, what is the 
counterpoint to the disease model of addiction and the what's the counterpoint of the to, to harm reduction I, I I hear I can hear I can suppose you're gonna say something along the lines of virtue or something like that but from your practice just from like when you are successful in helping somebody be successful, successfully overcome their drug addiction, what are some of the things that you see, the patterns of behavior that have to change, the attitudes, the narratives that, that actually help them? Well, well, first of all, just as far as the addiction itself, you know, I, I compare it to a trauma. Um, like mm-hmm. breaking your hip uh, okay. can kill you. Okay, and, and at certain stages of your life, you don't wind up the same. You may not walk the same, you may not walk at all. You might lose your leg. It, it doesn't mean you're the same after you break your hip. Nobody can give you everything back. It's like Humpty Dumpty. It's easier to fall off the wall than it is to put yourself back together. So I will not deny that narcotic addiction kills people and people lose their lives. So, but, 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 it, but the formulation is not a disease. It's a trauma. It's something that happened for some other reason. Now, there's no disease of breaking your hip. There might be some underlying aspects. You might have poor balance. You might have poor sight. You might be in a dangerous neighborhood. You might be in a gang. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of different things that can make you break your hip. You might be a crappy driver. You might be drunk, so yeah. forth. Um, so so the, the, the pathway to breaking one's hip is myriad. And potentially, too, towards narcotic addiction, I think less myriad. Um, so, so there's, uh, you know, I don't want to minimize the, the experience, but to get out of it, you know, there's a joke. Um, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Do you know that one? Uh, am I, or is that the, yeah, but what's the punchline? Is that the punchline? Do you, do you know? The punchline is, is, is it, it, how many psychiatrists does, does it take to change a light bulb? Just one. But the light bulb has to really, really want to be changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. And Thank so, you. in this case, you know, it's huh. it's one of those things. We had an expression in medical school. I don't know if you still do this one, but the expression was "alcoholics go to ground." And I didn't know what that meant uh, mm. when it when I heard it. Yeah. Um, but over time, it basically, you know, somebody, it, the, the the state of being an alcoholic can be relatively blissful. It's not blissful, but it's you know, you've you've anesthetized the pain of life. So people get drunk for a reason. They, they, their yeah. their reality is painful, and so they get drunk. Mm. And there's all you know. There's probably a T-shirt. I don't have a drinking problem. Uh, I drink. I get drunk. I pass out. No problem. That kind of thing. So yeah. in 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 the moment, you know, I think especially initially, narcotic addicts are are blissful. You know, the the opiate high is orgasmic. You know, it's the same modality. Endorphins are called endorphins because <laughs> they're, they're, they're endomorphines. And so morphine uh-huh. works the opposite way. Morphine works because we have endorphins. Endorphins were named after morphine. So we only found out about endorphins because we had morphine, but morphine only works because hmm. you have endorphins. So a little bit yeah, of yeah, yeah, paradox yeah, 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 there. But, yeah. but um, so, so, you know, we, we pursue these things. Um, and you can pursue them either well or poorly. And it's like almost anything else you can pursue well or poorly. You know, sexually, you know, I, I had this an, an analogy, uh, porno or the prom. And it's a little bit off color. Um, huh. but, but basically, if you're 15, 16 years old and you are only interested in an orgasm and you want that pleasure of an orgasm and you can either plan to go to the prom two months hence or you can do porno, which one is guaranteed to get you that orgasm? Yeah. Well, the porno is. You know, which one is going to cost you more? The prom. Which one involves embarrassment potentially? The prom. 
which well, one your mom is, walks in like, totally consumes you makes you you know, scared out of your mind the prom which one should you do <laughs> which one should you do yeah you know I mean, porno is there at any avail. It's always there. So, you know, the harm reduction approach would be why get rejected? Why would you have the possibility that your, your life's in hope and you might, yeah. you know, when, when you have the object of your desire and he slash she, you know, tells you to go buzz off, whatever, you wind up jumping off a bridge. So so harm reduction would, would dictate that you should stay home and, and, you know, do that other thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, yeah, yeah. that is not helpful. So that's the thing is, a lot of these things work, but they work only in the conception, you know, of people's minds and not in the reality. Because we are, we are, uh, you know, we are a, a life-based form. We we have our urges, and they've been set in not quite in stone, unless you think about the m- mosaic tablets. Um, but you know, the, the even those are broken. Down. And Mount Sinai, yeah. So, so they're, whether they're set in stone or not, I don't know. But we have motivations that seem to go across the board. You know, we ha- we are an interesting species because you know you can watch a silent, you can watch a movie from Thailand, turn the sound off, and you won't get the whole plot. But you can tell when people are happy, when you can tell when they're sly, you can tell when they're, you know, have something that's good. You know, it, we have one set of facial expressions worldwide. Hmm. And and so that implies we have one set of kind of motivations. We can read these things. It's, it's universal. And so, you know, but people take this away as if we are going to become trans humans. And, yeah. you know, we, we can somehow take away the, the, the motivations. We can take away our essence and we can take away our, our telos. And, and, and you can do that. You make an excellent point early on about procreation and whether that's part of creation and so forth you know the shape I, I i was googling before i started with you today just to bring this up potentially about the shakers and the, you know the shakers were an offshoot of quakers and um they did not procreate they made great furniture um but but you could join the shakers but there was no sex allowed and, and it wasn't even like uh you know most of your cults where where the one guy gets to do it with everybody but nobody else does but the shakers kept to their word and and it's hard to find shaker communities now because guess what um it is a a, a dwindling proposition uh you know not to have children not only that yeah. but i think it's a sad proposition in a way yeah there there's an image that you gave me um about like an anti-fragile Humpty Dumpty, right? Uh, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. And the harm reduction model would be to super glue Humpty Dumpty back together again. Like you send in, you send in all the bureaucrats, right? And you br- you fix this broken person by patching them all together with with a what, what did you call brufen, suboxone, methadone, and stuff like that, right? You continue you continue that breaking cycle. You you, you treat the person as continually broken and as fragile as not being able to put itself back together again and so just has to be patchwork together again but what what i feel like you hinting at is that there is in the attic no matter how broken there's still the possibility of a way out or a way to self-correction right but it has to be it has to be won by the self it has to be owned by the self the the transference from the dependency on the substance has to be 
another sort of dependency, a dependency on oneself, it's perhaps really a dependency excellent. on God. Oh, that's, yeah. that's very astute. No, I, I think we are addictive creatures. Yeah. You know, I, I spent a long time, you know, with huh. my, I, I struggled with my addiction. It, it, I don't want to make it sound too trivial, but, you know, playing squash. You know, I'm working and I'll, I, I had to go out there and play. I mean, it's an endorphin thing. It's the runner's high. And I found yeah. at one point in my 30s, I just loved playing squash i it just i, I lo- lose myself i'm pursuing the ball you're in this white room and you're running as hard as you can and there's you're keeping score and it's like exciting and you can get better at it. and you know i didn't become the best squash player on earth but i became the best squash player that i could possibly have been and and it was like captivating and i i would figure out ways that you know i probably could have earned more cash and i probably could have had a better this and that if I didn't play squash, I mean, I don't know if that's the case or not, because maybe it was the thing that was keeping me, you know, tethered and able to deal with all the other stresses because you have a huge stress release when you're on the squash court. There's literally, well, I don't know, figuratively, there's nothing else going on. It's just that thing. And when you're done, it's like, you know, oh, the world comes back. Yeah. Um, and so, so if you leave your addiction, I think you have to, you know, you don't stop saying, oh, well, I don't have any urges anymore. I don't want to get away from life. I don't think things are sucky. I don't have problems with my mom, my mother-in-law or whatever. And people don't still think I'm, you know, this and that, you know, things don't go away. You don't turn into Brad Pitt when you stop um, doing drugs. You, you are just you, you know, with, with a hangover or yeah. with, with needs and so forth. You know, I yeah. had this thing I had called five if I can count this high, where's my, there's my prop. I brought this, I bring this with me everywhere I go. Yeah. <laughs> so I can remember well, your how to hand count. or your ring. Yeah. No, the hand, uh, okay. the, the five F's. So I forget. It was basically, um, faith, family funds, which is money. Um, okay. and what else? Friendship. I don't know if I'm being redundant here and, and only lastly fun. And, and so the idea is that in order to reconstruct your life, you need certain things. You need, your family and your friends you need but but you need funds you need to be working at something okay and and yeah. and and you need to have faith i mean i i think people cannot um really move on um unless they have faith now i you know there's religion i think people can have faith in other ways they, they can be organizing around you know political thing or something like that yeah, but people yeah need, go woke totally yeah, do they, it they can but you need a, you need a, a mission in life, and 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 I don't agree with everybody's mission. Um, mm. I'm kind of a finicky uh, person, What's but, your but I do think that people can't do well unless they are living above and beyond their yeah. their 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 kind of material realm. Yeah. Um, and so we have aspirations, and and when you get those in check, and then mind you, you need some kind of replacement addiction. You know, you, you, you go, people run, they're doing, you know, lifting weights, uh, they're going to church, um, you know, it, it, it just has to be something that's better. And so the, the concept, the problem with harm reduction in general is that we are treating, again, this is the soft bigotry of low expectations. We we think those people cannot possibly do better. And so even though we've seen the movie and, and the homeless guy has words of wisdom, whatnot, in reality, we don't think that's the case. And this is kind of a puts the lie to it that we are kind of locking them into this life that we think that's all they can very much handle. So we're going to give them their food. We're going to give them this. We're going to give them that. All the stuff that they don't have to think of. They can't do all those things that, that my daughter can. My daughter can go to law school and she can do this and this. But this guy can't. So we have to take care of him. Now, maybe he's not going to go to law school, but but he probably can figure out, you know, how to, I don't know, do some kind of work that's enough to keep him busy and captivated and so yeah. forth. And I think, you know, we, we've 
historically, I think that's how people do better. You know, in the, the, you know this kind of the, the irony, you know, over, over the gates of uh, Auschwitz and Birkenau is, you know, the Germans had Arbeit mach frei, you know, work makes you free. Hmm. I mean, their 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 industry was was perverse and horrible and and, and satanic, but that one phrase is not wrong. You know, it's like a broken clock. You know, work does make you free. You don't want to be working as a slave. You don't want to be working for somebody's behest. But but the ability to get those things that you have is ownership. And when you have ownership, you have you have in the good sense of pride. You you have accomplished something, and you can move on with your life. Mm-hmm. So as you, as you've uh, as you've aged, as you've gone through your different decades of life, how has your faith changed or your mission in life changed? I mean, you, you mentioned a, a, tra- a professional trauma, losing your business, and how that broke your heart. Right? Well, it did. Um, that's, that's, that is an interesting point. Yes, it yeah. did break my heart. Those, yeah. I had my own office in Revere. Yeah. It was called the Medical Treatment Center of Revere, um, and i I worked my I worked my uh, I still have a tail. Actually, I don't have a tail. I worked my tail off there, and it was a love of my life, really, in a way. Uh, the, you know, not my my wife and my kids are real loves of my life and my family, and so forth. But you know, professionally, that was, and um, it was the best clinic. Then you know, that everybody who came in, well, a good fraction. You know, it was, it was really nicely run, um, and uh, it was personal. And professional, I did not everything perfectly, but I did everything that I could as well as I could. And um, I showed up on time. I was never drunk. I didn't, you know, I. I so you squashed on your uh, yeah, I didn't lunch breaks during hours. Um, <laughs> but you know, so it was a, it was a kind of a model of the English GP practice. Uh, I, I did just outpatient medicine. I didn't do inpatient. And so if people had other problems. They would go on. But you know, I, I was I think pretty astute at diagnosing people. And, and what I, what was the mission of doing that? Like what was the like the telos or or the metaphysical uh, backdrop of that? I don't want to say make it sound too romantic. I did it uh, yeah. as as to earn a living. Um, you know, I my medical career, I had. Um, so there was the funds part, but what was the faith? There's got had to have been like an element of, uh, you know, faith. Maybe it got out of hand sometimes. Maybe maybe at some point you felt you were the hand of God or something like that. But there's still got to be some sort of aspirational. Okay, well, let me say this. That, right? I mean, I, I right? when I left medical school, I went into, um, I did a year internship. I don't want to spend too much time on this. Then I went to West right. Virginia and I worked on my own. Um, because I had been slated, I decided to go into psychiatry, got into Yale psychiatry residency, but I broke up with my girlfriend during internship, and I just needed some time and space out, so I went into cowboy mode, and I went, I found a place where I could work with my one year of internship in the U.S., and that was West Virginia, so I did in the poorest county in the country um, at the time, and I worked there for a year, and I did outpatient medicine. Anyway, while I was out there, I was going to maybe stay, and I got called by Mass General Hospital um, because they had an opening. I got called like the 12th hour, like in in June or so, with like a week or two to, to, and I made a decision, do do I want to be in West Virginia? And I I wanted to get married at some point. I wasn't meeting the right person for me, I thought. And so I said, fine, I'll go back into society. So I left rural West Virginia. I went back to Boston. Back back to I went back to the East Coast. I wound up in Mass General. It was really intense, and it was, uh, you know, I kind of had a not quite culture shock, but I was used to doing my own things, my own hours, my own way, that kind of stuff. And I'm a pretty headstrong guy, and it, I didn't mesh into that program. It's a very strict program, and uh, we agree, mutually agreed, uh, you know, it wasn't going to work. So I, I left within a year, 
And then I was kind of a, on my own, and I started doing outpatient medicine. And so I wound up here and there working for other people, blah, blah, blah. And there was an opportunity came along, this medical treatment center, Revere, and I wound up working there part-time. And then over time, I wound up um, taking it over. They wanted to just close it. I took it over. It was just going to – they were just going to abandon it. So I paid them rent for a while, the hospital, and then I wound up owning the place. And so for 27 years, I was there, and it was my own gig. And I had not really planned on doing that general practice stuff. Um, and I had my own little issues with medicine because, you know, I, my household, I was mentioning earlier, uh, was a tight ha- household. And um, my mom, you know, I, I wanted to be a fireman. I wanted to be this. I wanted to be that. When I said doctor, she's like, that. that's the one you said. So she always brought me back to that. She's a Jewish mom. Yeah. And so I wanted being a doctor. But I had various reservations about it because when medical school, it was not – the great learning experience. You're basically kind of like the, you're like the, the, the goose and foie gras. You're, you're just fed stuff until your <laughs> brain is that fatty liver that gets harvested. All well and good. No, I didn't appreciate it. I was young-ish, and, and I didn't appreciate how much work and effort you needed to know all this stuff. And so it's very militaristic, and you're kind of in boot camp for a number of years. And then – so I resisted it. And, and so – Psychiatry seemed a way of doing medicine light, getting kind of the talk and the conversation and the humanity. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I wasn't planning on being a primary care guy. But there I was, and you know, it, some of it's interesting, some of it's not. I mean, you see a thousand sore throats. I mean, how many of them are interesting? Not all of them. But yeah. you know, over time, I, I, I think, I don't know, I got older or whatever, and I, you know, I started to, to relax and enjoy the people for who they were and get more conversational, and then it becomes really fascinating. Um, and yeah, all, all, you also have to be correct. I mean, you, you can't just think one thing is this when it's not. So you have to keep open-minded because, you know, the truth has a vote. You know, if you think everything uh, comes in a strep throat, it's not always going to be the case. Some of it's going to be Coxsackie virus or something else. You're going to have to be surprised and you have to leave yourself open to that and to be wrong. There's a certain amount of humility that comes with it. Anyway, you know, having that be my thing where I – you know, that was my practice, and I had not made it in the psychiatry residency. You know, I needed this to work, and so I worked really hard at it. Um, and, and so I took business opportunities as they came along. And one of them, you know, for instance, at one point there was uh, Viagra came along. And, you know, I, I saw no reason why I couldn't be that guy to, you know, help people with their erectile dysfunction. Another point, when FenFen came along, you know, obesity. I, I speak pretty good Spanish, and... You know, I advertised on the Spanish. It was near Chelsea, which is Latina. And so I wound up with a big Spanish clientele. I did I did these various things that I could try to do to help pay the bills and whatnot. And then mm-hmm. when Suboxone came along, it's not like I thought, oh, I'm going to treat the addiction world. It was a, it was a not business opportunity. But whenever I take an opportunity up, I try to, you know, spend enough time on it to um, – hmm. You know, to make it work. So, with the, the, the getting to another fairy tale, instead of Humpty Dumpty, I'm going to move right over to Goldilocks. Um, if you're okay with this, but and I and I have to apologize for talking so much. I mean, you're a really uh, great guy to talk to. I'm going to interview you. But anyway, just <laughs> good luck. <laughs> while we're still on me, um, um, you know, Goldilocks. I what what there was when Suboxone came out. Uh, they have a, an introduction. You had, couldn't get a license to write at the time without going through classes. So I did. And they talk about detox or maintenance. So maintenance is kind of the methadone model where it's the harm reduction model where they have this problem with narcotics and you have to treat them. And this is where the disease model really comes in. So if, if diabetes is, is a disease, and let's say it is because it is, uh, you can't think people through it. You can't say, you know what? I want you to think through. I want you to go find God. 
be good to your family, and that'll fix your diabetes. And you take away their insulin, and they drop dead, <laughs> and that's the end of your medical practice and so forth, because that's stupid. Now, the, the disease model is crucial to the addiction world if you're a methadone clinic. So I came up, uh, you know, following Eisenhower's example, I came up with a methadone industrial complex because there, as a term, because there is one. <laughs> and and th this whole diseaseification of addiction, you know, qui bono, uh, the Romans came up with, and it's like, who's benefit? Yes. And, and, and it, you know, I don't think arguably it's the, the populace that winds up on methadone forever. Um, you, you know, Starbucks should be so lucky. You know, Starbucks has to actually work and keep the place clean and, and, and whatnot and compete against other whatever. But, I mean, they have an addicted populace. They have people who are addicted to caffeine. That's their disease model. Coca-Cola, you know, business, that, that's their business model. Coca-Cola, same thing. So there's certain things where it's like the customers keep coming back because they need that cigarettes, you know, all this kind of stuff. Maybe marijuana. I don't know. But, but with addiction, people have problems in their lives and they go get addicted. Now – the example that I came up with was alcoholism or alcoholics, alcohol addicts versus narcotic addicts. How do we treat those two? Now, if you were in Kabul, Afghanistan, you know, where alcohol is, is a crime and it's forbidden, you, you could imagine somebody maybe starting, you say, you know what, these people have a disease. We're going to start a vodka or an alcohol replacement clinic. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have them come in. They're addicted to scotch or whatever it is. And we're going to give them this clear liquid. It looks like water. Uh, we, call, you know, we got it from Russia. They call it vodka. And we give it to them, you know, dose them three, four times a day. They'll come in and be, their alcohol needs are going to disappear. And we'll fix their, their problem. They, they have an alcohol disease, so we have to keep giving them alcohol. Now, <laughs> you'd be laughed at, you know, if you did that here. If you tried to, you know, if this tables were turned, if alcohol, prohibition, whatever – we're illegal, and you open an alcohol clinic. Nope, nobody would buy into that. You know, but somehow we have been able to do that with narcotics. You know, this is a, a new foundation, a new principle. And this is where the disease model really does. Disease work hand in hand with the Ill illegality of these substances. So if they, the, well, that's the, an interesting point. Again, getting back to our Roman phrase uh, "qui bono," you know, who benefits? You know. Physicians in general, uh, the concept that we can prescribe things is a rent-seeking, you know, you're not familiar with that term economically. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, economic yeah. rent is when you get a right from the king, from, from the government to do something. So yeah. physicians, you know, we became, allopaths became doctors, you know, prescribing. That's our, our you know, mm. sine qua non of treatment because mm. we got this right that other people don't have to give access to these pills. Now, if you go to Mexico, you can get Viagra, for instance, over the counter. You know, is Viagra different in Mexico? Is erectile dysfunction different in Mexico? No, it's not. You know, here it's sort of becoming a little milder. You can go, you know, sign on to hymns online, whatever, get some Viagra. But when it came out for the first, you know, 20 years or so, excuse me, not Oh, it was 1997, whatever, for the first decade or so, you need a doctor, you know, you need a physician to write that, probably the first 20 years, 20, 2017 or so, you need a physician to write your Viagra. Now, why? I mean, who knows? But but that certainly benefits physicians. Does it benefit guys who have erectile dysfunction? I don't know. You know, is there any reason for it? But So you make an excellent point. Because narcotics are illegal, um, you need somebody to write it. Now, you know, 
you could you could do what I intended to do. Getting back to my Goldilocks model, I thought the detox were too short. Five days, three days, seven days. Mm-hmm. Detox are too short, and maintenance, you know, years or forever is too long. So I wanted mm-hmm. the just right method, and okay. I worked a fair amount at finding out what the right duration was. My feeling is, if you have somebody die in your family, or you break up with your girlfriend, your wife, whatever. Um, you have a major kind of psychological, about four months or so, and then you're kind of ready to get back in the flow. Your grief, yeah, whatever you want to call this, grief, divorce, whatever, the, the major depression yeah. part of it is about four months. I'm not saying it's magical or the same in every person, but that's yeah. what I decided to, to set reset. As a standard okay. for my yeah. detox program. So I gave people a four-month detox is like less than 1% of the dose per day Less than one percent. So that's what you do. You, you drop them by one percentage point per day, or we did it weekly, or or every other week, or whatever, okay. and depending on the person. But but I pretty much only went down. It's like one of those those uh, yeah. what do they call those turnbuckle ratchet things. Yeah. I didn't go up in their dose. Okay. So my feeling was, and I I quizzed them weekly to 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 make sure that they're replacing the addiction with something else gradually, while you decrease their physical dependence on the drug. Right. And, and I, I gave them a, an opiate withdrawal scale questionnaire every time they came in, hmm. and and my you know it wasn't a huge study, but my analysis of that was they actually didn't have any more withdrawal symptoms during the middle of the treatment than they did at the beginning. Frankly, less. So people are able to acclimate. You're able to acclimate something else. They didn't. Yeah. They weren't on narcotics their whole lives, and they don't necessarily need to be on narcotics their whole lives. It's not like diabetes. I mean, the example I give is Joe and Fred. You know. Uh, get put into Turkish prison, you know, and one Fred is Fred is a heroin addict and and Joe is a diabetic with insulin. And they take away, they say, okay, you're in jail, get rid of all these. They go through their luggage, they find all these needles, they throw away all the needles, and Joe's like, wait, 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 I need my needles. Fred's like, oh, wait, wait, I need my. Needles. They both need their needles, and, and they take away the medication, the needles, everything, and so Joe and Fred are there in, in prison. Joe's the uh, you know a type one diabetic. He, two weeks, he's dead. Fred, two weeks, he's like feeling, I mean, maybe sad about Joe, but, but he's feeling <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You know, he, he's, 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 you know, in four weeks, he's yeah. lifting weights, he's buffed up, he's sleeping. I mean, he went through hell. Okay. They both go through that hell of the first week without the diet, without the insulin, without the heroin. They're both going through hell the first week, but Joe's dead in two weeks. And yeah. Fred is better than ever in four weeks. Yeah. You know, so which one's got the disease? And I guess. There's also the question of the people who are just lost. If if somebody signs up or repeat repeatedly signs up three or four times to your program and just just doesn't actually want to change, right? The, that light bulb, right? That's the joke. But the thing yeah. is, I, I I didn't I noticed this that people would the people do this in detoxes a lot. There's a thing. It's not my term of art. It's called spin dry, like yeah. in the in the dry you know when you're washer dryer is spin dry and a lot of narcotic addicts they would calibrate their their finances and their dosing by spin drying so they they have a 200 dollars a day dose of heroin they have to go in order to get their their feel good and they go into the detox and they go through misery for whatever medications whatever and after three five seven days they come out and they're intended to go back i'm not sure what their full intentions are but they wind up going back to drugs but but for only 50 dollars they can be high so, so there's a fair amount of recalibration that goes on, and I, I didn't want that as part of my clinic. So I tried to make various fences towards that. So initially, I had I charged 
kind of skin in the game. It was an administrative fee uh, for my program that I, so I didn't want everybody. I didn't want people who just wanted, you know, some narcotic that day. I wanted people who wanted to detox. And so I told them the administrative fee was, I mean, I spent time and effort on it. So for that $185, I spent, you know, time with a questionnaires. You know, I spent an hour with them and I wanted to see if they understood what my program was. And it's, over time I had videos. I gave them like, you know, half an hour of videos of what the process was, what it was like, testimonials from other people, that kind of stuff about that it's physically possible to detox. It shouldn't be that shocking. But, but a lot of them are through the methadone world and they yeah. tell them, the harm reduction model, which is that you cannot get off this. This is a lifetime problem. You're always going to be addicted. If you don't get methadone, you have a good chance of killing yourself. Now, I don't deny that people on narcotics or off narcotics can kill themselves. I mean, this is, you know, yeah. with th there are issues. Nothing is perfect. But for the people who wanted to change things and wanted to get better, certainly it's a, a conceivable thing to do. I mean, we, you know, George W. Bush uh, announced that he's a, you know, a drug addict. I don't think he was doing heroin, but he was doing cocaine at certain points, certainly alcohol, and he was an alcoholic. You know, how did he fix himself? I don't think he did any alcohol as president. It's not like he didn't have stress. You know, he wasn't always uniformly liked. It wasn't a happy face world for him. You know, there were issues. The, you know, Twin Towers fell. There were wars. And I'm not saying he did everything perfectly with or without drugs, but he did it without alcohol. And how did he do it? He found he's a born-again Christian. Now, is that the only way to fly? I don't think so. But I think you need something that's captivating and consuming because we have big needs. We are human beings, you know, and we have needs. Yeah. We have big needs. Yeah, we do. So now that you're not doing that anymore, how are you finding um – meaning and purpose i guess you started this channel and and you're, you're writing in books right so so your needs don't go away just the avenue through which you express them has to develop over time yeah or has I think, developed over time. i think we have a striving within us we we i think we all know that we are capable of more and that we are capable of doing better and hmm. and that goes for me i think we have all have our urges you know that we could ease I think humans are potentially a lazy, um, you know, hedonistic, hedonistic uh, bunch, um, and and we um, we feel good temporarily with that, but we don't feel soulfully good yeah. unless we are creating something beyond ourselves. Um, and again, I think do think it's different from women and men. You know, women have that ability to create something beyond themselves. You know, and and you know, my wife, I don't think she wanted to have children um but you know that was i don't know we fell in love and you know then she started to think about wanting to have children i mean can you imagine somebody crazy enough to, to look at me and want more of me i mean that, that's a whole separate <laughs> <laughs> whole separate issue but 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 it's biology so we're, we're going to chalk it up to you know yeah. uh instinct and biology yeah. but anyway but 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 you you create an individual it's an incredible journey I mean that is the, the biggest journey of our of our lives, yeah. um, personally, and it's not over. And and hopefully they they re recreate that as well, and and procreate and create, you know. But it, but it's not you know this is a, 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 a weird. I forget the name of that movie. Um, the movie where everyone stops having kids. Um, Children of Men. Possible. That's one where they don't stop, but reproduction stops. Yeah, and that's kind of. I mean, I. I'm I'm in this little uh, uh, single suburban block here. Maybe there's 20 houses on it, and you know that my son's 
cohort of kids. You know, it's like 15 kids or whatever, grew up, whatever. And I'm, I'm like mentally, no, no grandkids yet. And they're all like late 20s, early 30s, yeah. zero. And, and, you know, this is not a normal thing over the history of time. You know, we make fun of other generations, and they did this, and they, you know, pressed this and this. But, you know. They got us here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know of anybody uh, who wasn't born from a man and a woman. I mean, that, that's like none of my friends. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyways. The sack babies are coming, though. So, we'll so I, let me let me yeah. spin this back to you. Uh, what motivates Benjamin Boyce, yeah. and and how how are you um, running through life? Hmm. Um. Well, my life's in uh, major change mode. I'm I'm uh, I my life is like completely going in a totally different direction and in the past four weeks it's completely changed course but generally it's uh there's a hierarchy of of work um work has been uh well not work uh yeah i guess work has been like a major foundation for my sense of meaning and by work it used to be uh pursuing some sort of writing like i, I tried to create uh worlds uh through novels and, and through writing and then um and then i finally went and, and i worked with children um for for the first part of my adulthood and uh you know I, I worked in preschools and and i found that i could work there by by creating songs you know or, or creating it, it it was for a long time it was creativity and then i went to college i went to the evergreen state college to like try to grasp what i wanted out of literature out of being a writer or a intellectual and then my life completely changed at the end of that where i was i landed online um talking to people first and then listening to people later. And so I've always wanted to be productive uh, and prolific and potent within my profligacy or however that word is going. And now it's to become a stage. My, my meaning or my work is to, is to evoke reality out of other people and then put that reality online to kind of show that this virtual world can have a home for reality and can be a place where the arc of human consciousness and the arc of human souls can can bridge through all these ones and zeros and hit other people elsewhere and then maybe change or open up or broaden people's lives and maybe maybe more than just people's lives but communities lives so so being engaged with other people at this point is is my raison d'etre you know. Yeah, I know you're good at it. I mean, you uh, have a, a calming presence and you have, um, you know, good intellectual basis um, hmm. and, and your questions are probing. Um, so what's what's the can you uh, delineate or, or divulge the, the four week uh, recent? <laughs> There's this little woman. <laughs> this is a woman. 